Hey guys, welcome back and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Sherry. I can't believe it's coming up on one year next month since I began the show. I'll have to do something special for you guys, maybe a live one or something. First, I want to give a big shout out to the class of 2021 seniors who are graduating, especially three that I hold close to my heart, Cassie, Pearson, and Leaf. I love you all. Today's story is a tale of survival and courage. It involves sex abuse, so I want to give a trigger warning for that in case you don't want to listen. It's totally fine. This is the case of Amanda Berry, Gina DeJesus, and Michelle Knight. This story first begins in August of 2002. I'd give anything to go back to this year, by the way. The world was still healing from the September 11th attacks the year before. Holly Berry was the first black actress to win the Best Actress Academy Award. The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, was the highest grossing film. Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake broke up and the tabloids rode the story for like six months. And lastly, Sanyo released the first cell phone to ever have a built-in camera. Michelle Knight was born in 1981. She's the same age as me, for context. At the time this story begins in 2002, Michelle was 21 years old. Michelle had a hard life, and just reading about her made me cry. So she's born into a family that is extremely poor. One of her oldest memories was her family living in a car. She's abused and raped repeatedly by a male relative while she was growing up. She would go to school, and she's targeted by bullies. Her family didn't have a lot of money, and she was wearing very old clothes every day. She couldn't bathe or wash her clothes often, so she's made fun of for that. Michelle is often put in charge of her little brothers. Now, Michelle is tiny. Even as a full-grown adult, she's only four foot seven. She's made fun of for being short. This poor girl just couldn't catch a break no matter where she turns in life. Just to jump off track for a moment, this is why it's so important to teach your children to be kind to others. I'm not a perfect parent by any means, but I've always taught both my kids to befriend the weirdos and the loners and the kids who have no one else. Michelle was being tormented and bullied in school every day. You don't know what someone is going through. She would come home to a filthy house with no food, take care of her brothers, and then get raped at night. She would wake up the next morning and go to school, and the cycle repeats. She had no one. Michelle claims no one would be her friend. Even her teachers ignored her. I hope the people who made her feel like shit on a daily basis now see her and feel just as bad as she felt when she was in school every day. I'm sorry to anyone out there who is like Michelle, and I promise you, you are loved and you are seen. Michelle ran away from home when she was 15. I do not blame her at all. She lives underneath a highway bridge inside of a trash can. She was tiny, so she's able to fit inside this trash can and close the lid so people didn't see her. It's heartbreaking knowing that she's only 15. Michelle meets a drug dealer while she's living under this bridge, and his name is Sniper. Now, Sniper tells Michelle she can get out of the trash can and come live with him. He has a house with his brother, and she's welcome to stay there. There's only one condition, and that's that she would need to be a drug runner. Michelle isn't very good at being a drug runner because she has no idea what to do. But they're helping her figure it out. She had two choices, stay in the trash can under the bridge and beg for food, or be a drug runner and live in a home with amenities and so on. So she thinks this is a better deal. 
Sniper and his brother gave her her own bedroom and she had food and she was allowed to eat anytime she wants. They didn't expect sex out of her, which is what she expected was part of the catch. Remember, she's been around gross men all of her life who abuse, who abuse her, but Sniper treated her with kindness and again gave her a place to stay every night. He was just a friend and that's all. And I'm really not mad at this guy for it. Michelle says during the time when she lived with Sniper, it was the most wholesome time of her life until this point. She was treated like a human being and they were very kind to her. She said he never once made her feel uncomfortable. Sniper ended up getting busted one day about six months after Michelle moved in and Michelle is back to living under the bridge in the trash can. She is found by her father. Remember, she's only 15, 16 years old at this time. Think about yourself at that age and imagine living through what Michelle is living through. Her father picks her up under the bridge and tells This part I edited out. It was what her dad had said to her when he found her, and it was just really gross. The abuse continued once she got back home. Michelle goes back to high school, and she has a boyfriend. She got pregnant and had her son, Joey, when she was 18 in 1999. Her boyfriend and her break up shortly after Joey was born. Michelle just loved little Joey. He was just a baby, and she could see that this little human loved her no matter what her life was like. Children don't care. She was his mom, and she had someone who finally loved her. In 2002, Michelle is 21, and she's walking around town looking for jobs. It's hard for her to find jobs because she's so short and had problems reaching the cash register and stocking shelves. She leaves Joey at home with her mom and her mom's new boyfriend, Carlos, while she's out looking for jobs. Her abusive dad, I mentioned earlier, had moved out. Michelle goes back home and says she has no luck finding a job that day. Carlos, her mom's boyfriend, gets drunk and actually lunges at Michelle one night. He's ready to beat her and he hears little Joey crying. So he grabbed the little boy up and twisted his leg while he and while he was doing it, it hurt him pretty bad. Joey is removed from the home by social services. Even though Michelle didn't harm him, she would never do that. The courts decided this was no place for a small child to be. Michelle describes the day CPS came to take the boy away, and it's heartbreaking. We've talked a lot about Michelle and how terrible her life has been up until this point, but I haven't even started on why she is a victim in this story. In order to get Joey back, she would have to meet certain conditions. She moved out, and she moved in with her cousin. She had to get a job and attend meetings with social services. Michelle had no money for public transportation, so she's walking back and forth to these meetings every week. She's walking around town trying to find a job. Everywhere she goes, she just has to walk. But she's determined to get her son back. He's being moved from foster home to foster home during this time. On August 23rd, 2002, she's kind of lost. She applies at the Dollar General and then asks the woman for directions. The conversation was overheard by a man who says he knows where this place is that she's looking for and offers to drive her there. Michelle is tired of walking and agrees to catch a ride. The man's name is Ariel Castro. She gets in his car and he tells her he has to stop by his house and grab something. They pull up out front and he tells her his dog just had a litter of puppies. Did she want to take one for her son, Joey? She's feeling a little apprehensive, but sees there's neighbors sitting outside, and Ariel seemed like a decent guy. He said he had a daughter who was a teenager. She trusts him, even though she just met him. 
They go inside, and that is where the horror begins. Ariel Castro cornered her in the upstairs bedroom, tied her hands and feet up, and then strung her up on a wire he had hung between two poles on either side of the room. He beat her when she screamed. He put a dirty sock in her mouth, covered it with duct tape, and sexually assaulted her. So he was prepared for this moment, and it was obvious he was out scouting a young woman. The house is filthy. A few days later, he moved Michelle to the basement. He continues to rape her and beat her multiple times a day. She barely gets any food. He chained her up to a pole and made her wear a motorcycle helmet. He kept her chained up while he went to work. When he was home, he always kept a gun on his hip in case she tried to escape or yell or anything like that. One thing he tells Michelle, and she knows it's true, no one is looking for you. No one cares where you are. They think you just wandered off. No one is ever going to come looking for you because no one loves you. I want to give you guys some background info on Ariel Castro. So he was born in Puerto Rico in 1960. At the time this story takes place in 2002, he's 42 years old. He buys this house at 2207 Seymour Avenue in Cleveland, Ohio in 1992. He lived there with his wife and four children. He was abusive to his wife. So she takes the four children and moves out in 1996. Ariel continues to live alone in the house until 2002 when he kidnapped Michelle. He plays bass in a local salsa band and he works as a school bus driver, which is horrifying. After a few weeks of being chained up in the basement, Michelle is taken upstairs where she's chained up inside of a bedroom. The windows were boarded up, the door is padlocked. He occasionally gives her food, which is usually just a sandwich from McDonald's. Around eight months into her captivity, Ariel lets her come downstairs to take her first shower. This is the first shower she's had since the day he kidnapped her eight months prior. She cried when she looked in the mirror and saw all of her bruises and how undernourished she looked. It's now 2003. Ariel keeps telling Michelle how much he loves blondes. He says he wants to have sex with someone who looks like Christina Aguilera or Britney Spears. He constantly tells Michelle how ugly she is and she's not as pretty as other women. The next night, Michelle is watching TV in her room while she's chained up. There's like an old TV sitting on the floor. She sees a local news report that a 16-year-old girl named Amanda Berry had disappeared from the Burger King where she worked. Michelle knows who this girl is because she remembered her from school. Amanda Berry is a 16-year-old who works at Burger King in Cleveland. She was walking home from work one evening, and Ariel stops and offers her a ride. Now, Amanda didn't really see him as some stranger. She was actually friends with Ariel's daughter, so she trusts him a little more than some stranger. She doesn't really know him. She just knows who he is. Amanda had called her sister at 8 p.m. and said she just got a ride home from work and she'll be home soon. She didn't say who it was that she was riding with. It's just a brief I'm on my way home phone call. Amanda is missing and unlike Michelle, people are frantic. Her mother is on the news pleading for her return or anyone to give any info to help her. There's missing persons flyers posted on every telephone pole. The police are notified, and there's search teams and people out looking every day for Amanda. Amanda was at first considered to be a runaway. Michelle is upstairs chained up, and over the next few days, she begins to hear loud music coming from the basement a lot. She puts two and two together and thinks, holy shit, he took that girl. 
Three weeks later, Ariel brings Amanda into Michelle's room and they meet each other for the first time. Amanda sees the squalor that Michelle is living in with a bucket for a toilet and trash everywhere. She sees all the chains and locks. Amanda is then chained up in another bedroom upstairs. She is beaten and raped constantly, just like Michelle. But Amanda got a little better treatment than Michelle because Ariel saw her as more desirable. I say better treatment, but I mean like she wasn't beaten in the face as much as Michelle was. Amanda was still tortured and beaten all the time. Michelle is still raped multiple times a day, even two to three times before he would leave for work. Sometimes Ariel would tell her, Amanda's not in the mood, so you're going to have to do it. Around this time, Michelle discovers that she's pregnant. She knows all the signs and symptoms because she had a baby before, her son Joey. Eventually, Ariel discovers that she's pregnant and he beats her so bad that she has a miscarriage. Just to jump ahead, Michelle ended up having four different pregnancies during the time she was held, but each time Ariel would beat her until she lost the baby. The last time she lost the baby, the beating was so bad that she could no longer have children. What did it was that he hit her in the stomach with a barbell. Now it's 2004. This is two years that Michelle has been there and one year that Amanda has been there. Amanda's mom goes on the Montel Williams show as a guest, and psychic Sylvia Brown is there as a guest as well. Sylvia Brown is a famous psychic who has a record of not being correct about getting the whereabouts of lost people, but she has gotten a few right. Sylvia tells Amanda's mom that she knows Amanda is dead and she is somewhere in a body of water. Amanda's mom is so devastated by this that she takes the missing flyers down and she gave away Amanda's computer and some of Amanda's things. She believed exactly what Sylvia told her. Sadly, Amanda's mother died two years later of heart failure. She never knew what happened to her daughter. So it's April 2004. Gina Jesus is a 14-year-old girl who was walking home from school one day. Gina actually had to walk 40 blocks between her house and middle school, which seemed like a long ways to walk, especially in an area that's not that great. But Gina's mother gives her $1.25 each day to ride the city bus. But Gina would sometimes keep the money and use it for bubble gum and candy or whatever. Ariel stops and offers her a ride one day. I don't know exactly how he did it. There's a lot of conflicting reports. Gina knew who Ariel was because, like Amanda, Gina was friends with his daughter. She had met him a few times. Ariel doesn't take her home. He instead takes her back to his house. And just like Amanda, Gina's family is on the news. The missing flyers are posted. A huge search is taking place. She is only 14 years old. So an Amber Alert wasn't issued because no one actually saw who picked her up. This really angered Gina's father. But her abduction didn't qualify for an Amber Alert. You can go back through my old videos and find where I talk about Amber Hagerman. There I list all the qualifications that are needed for an Amber Alert. So Gina is first held in the basement, just like Amanda was before being introduced to the other girls. Amanda has her own room she's chained in, she's chained up in upstairs, and Michelle has her own room that she's chained up in. Ariel would actually place a bag over Gina's head while raping and beating her because she was a friend of his daughter's and because he knew her family well. This guy is really a sick fuck. So there's vigils being held over the next couple weeks for Gina's return. People are starting to think whoever took Amanda also took Gina. People think there's a connection somehow. Sickly, 
Ariel Castro actually attended these community vigils and lit a candle for her safe return. He hugged her parents and told them he hoped she would be found. Now, remember, Ariel has four kids that went with their mother when she left him, including the daughter that both Amanda and Gina are friends with. His older son is a good dude and completely estranged from his father throughout this time. He actually wrote a piece about Gina's disappearance that was published in the newspaper. It's crazy how many connections there are through this whole case, more than any I've ever covered. Michelle once said that, yes, all three women were raped and beaten daily, but she believes she endured the worst of it. Ariel kind of looked at her like she wasn't a human because she was so small and he thought the other two girls were better looking than her. Now, the girls all had journals and pencils they were allowed to keep. Remember, they had nothing to do all day for 10 years. He allowed them to write, but they were never allowed to write his name down in case the journals were ever found. Amanda kept a diary noting every single time he raped or assaulted her. This was because she wanted to someday be able to show the court if he was ever caught. She wanted him charged for each and every instance. You may be wondering why no one ever discovered they were there. Well, the windows were boarded up. There was a padlock on every door. When Ariel had friends over to the house to play their guitars or whatever, he kept them in the kitchen. He claimed the rest of his house was a mess and he didn't want anyone going through it. He also entertained his friends in the backyard. Now, Ariel's next door neighbor was a close friend of Gina's dad. Gina's dad would go to the neighbor's house and sit and talk about how much he missed her and how he hopes she is found. Meanwhile, she's chained up 30 feet away in the next house. Ariel came, even came over when her dad was there and discussed how sad it was that Gina still hadn't been found. So in 2006, Amanda discovers that she's pregnant and she's terrified because remember, Ariel beat Michelle so bad that she suffered four miscarriages because he didn't want her to have a baby. Well, Amanda is different. He doesn't mind having a child with Amanda. He wants her to have the baby. So she's all set to give birth. He buys her a waiting pool where she will deliver and tells Michelle to deliver the baby. If anything happens to the baby or if the baby doesn't survive, I'll kill you. Michelle sat next to Amanda and delivered the child. It was Christmas morning. Amanda gave birth to a baby girl she named Jocelyn. Now, the girls had this little baby that they had to take care of. The girls were happy to have a little one in the house. She grew into a toddler, and the girls played with her and tried to give her a normal life as much as they could. There was finally some joy in the house. Now, Ariel made sure that Jocelyn did not know their real names or that Amanda was their mom. The girls had to use different names around Jocelyn. I know what you're all thinking, and no, Ariel was not abusing the little girl that I can find. She was not chained up or made to stay in the same room where the women were. Jocelyn had free roam of the house. She wasn't allowed outside much, but he did take her places with him occasionally. He took her out to eat and always introduced her to people as his girlfriend's daughter. She called him daddy, though, and she knew he was her dad. So with Jocelyn in the house, the girls were allowed to freely roam around inside sometimes when Ariel was home. But for Michelle, it was a little different. Gina and Amanda were allowed to sit on the couch and watch TV with him and Jocelyn, but Michelle would have to stand in the corner. Now it's 2012, and Jocelyn is around five years old. Ariel takes her to this carnival they had in town, and he brings back a hot dog for each of the women. This was like a big treat for them. 
Well, Michelle is allergic to mustard. I didn't even know until recently that people could even be allergic to mustard, but it can, you can have a severe reaction to it. She tells him she can't eat it because she could die, and he beats her and makes her eat it anyway. Michelle gets extremely sick and says it was one of the closest encounters she's had to death. It was Gina that took care of her during this time and helped keep her alive. So the house is beginning to really fall apart. Things are breaking. The house is like something out of hoarders. Ariel lost his job as a bus driver. I don't know the exact reason why he was fired. I read he was caught making an illegal turn or something and there was kids on the bus. I read another report that he left his bus unlocked for several hours in front of the school and walked home. So he was disciplined for that. Like he's got 900 locks at home that he has to lock over and over, but he forgets to lock his freaking school bus. But he has no job now and no way to keep, keep paying the mortgage. Jocelyn is six years old now. It's 2013. Jocelyn tells her dad she's tired of all the locks on the doors. She's complaining about having to call him every time she wants to go in a different room. I don't know if the women put her up to it or if it was something she just came up with her own, but she runs this house. Ariel does a lot of what Jocelyn asks of him. Around this time, he began getting sloppy with leaving bedroom doors occasionally unlocked. Even though the women were chained up a lot of the time, this was a huge thing because he's finally beginning to break a little bit. One morning, the women heard Jocelyn running through, through the halls and she yells that she's looking for her dad. She's yelling, daddy, daddy. Jocelyn can't find him, so they know he's not home. Jocelyn tells Amanda that daddy's car is gone. Michelle, Michelle said she heard Amanda's door open, but she didn't hear any locks being opened or anything. So she's thinking, how did Amanda manage to get out of her room? They quickly discover Ariel had left her bedroom door unlocked and he's not home. This was their chance. This was the first time in 10 years that Amanda's bedroom door was unlocked with her in it and him not at home. Now there were times the girl's bedroom doors were unlocked, but he would wait a few feet away to see if they would escape. If they came out, he would beat them. Amanda runs downstairs. The other girls were still locked in their rooms. The front door was wired with an alarm and the storm door was padlocked shut. Amanda was able to squeeze her arm through the padlock screen door. She's screaming, help me, I'm Amanda Berry. A neighbor spots her but is too afraid to really intervene. She also didn't understand English real well and was 75 years old. She recognized the name. The lady was screaming. I'm Amanda Berry. She knows the name Amanda Berry from the news, and she tells her Amanda is dead. How can you be Amanda? Another person who was in the area whose name is Charles Ramsey. You guys are going to love this guy. Charles ended up getting interviewed by the news later on, and his video went viral just for being a really cool character in this story. He's got a personality. Charles starts pulling on the door and can't get it open, so he starts kicking it. He tells her to finish kicking the rest of it out. Amanda is outside now. She breathes in fresh air. The reason Charles went viral was because he tells the news reporter, I knew something was wrong when a pretty little white girl runs into a black man like me's arms. Charles Ramsey calls 911 and hands the phone to Amanda. Amanda tells the operator, my name is Amanda Berry and I've been missing for 10 years. I'm here and I'm free now. 
The 911 operator who handled her call has been under a lot of scrutiny in the media for his lack of compassion and empathy. The call is released publicly, and you can hear him tell her to talk to the police when they get there. She's screaming, when will they be here? He's going to come home soon. He says, we'll send a car over as soon as we can find one open. He's being really dismissive and seems like he's just trying to get her off the phone. He actually ends the call with her after telling her the police would be there soon, which is the worst thing he could have done. He should have stayed on the line with her until they got there. I don't think the operator understood the severity of what is happening. Amanda, meanwhile, is outside with Charles and the others. She's scared out of her mind that Ariel is going to come home and make her go back inside. This operator ended up being placed under investigation for the way he handled the call. They found he did nothing wrong except hang up the phone. Now, he states he used bad judgment and should have handled the call better. The first police officers to arrive, to arrive, they realize that this is Amanda Berry for real. She screams there are two other women inside. At this point, every officer in Cleveland is on their way to the house. This is a historical moment. Now, remember, Michelle and Gina are still inside their rooms. They hear the door open and think it's Ariel coming home. They aren't able to see all the dramatic moments happening outside. When the police go in, the two women are vis visibly shaken and scared. They're still convinced, even with being surrounded by dozens of police officers, that he's going to come home and beat them. They aren't sure what to do. Michelle runs into the arms of a police officer and doesn't let go. Gina tells the officers who she is, and she says they look like they saw a ghost. The missing 14-year-old, who have, they have spent 10 years looking for, is standing in front of them as a 24-year-old adult. The police are informed that the man who has held them all these years is named Ariel Castro. An immediate manhunt is on to try and locate him. He was found a half a mile away with his brother at a McDonald's. Both of Ariel's brothers were arrested along with Ariel. At this point, everybody's guilty until we, this gets figured out. His brothers have no idea what's going on, but they want answers. Both brothers were determined to have no involvement and completely unaware that Ariel had these women captive for all those years, and they are free to go. The three girls and little Jocelyn are taken to the hospital to get checked out. Amanda, Gina, and Jocelyn were released to the families. Michelle, on the other hand, was extremely sick. It's also sad to think about Michelle not having any family there with her at the hospital. The other girls are being showered with balloons and flowers and dozens of relatives giving them hugs, and Michelle has no one. She was found to have a blood infection, and if left untreated a little while longer, she would have died. The girls gave countless interviews about their time being held in the House of Horrors. They would go on to write best-selling books and do good things in life, such as Gina and Amanda were able to receive their high school diplomas, complete with a cap and gown. The girls are well-off financially. They have a high net worth. According to Google, they're in the millions, which they earned every single penny of. Michelle changed her name to Lily Rose. There's too much horror associated with her dead name, Michelle. I think this was a really good thing for her to do. Gina DeJesus got to have the the quinceanera she never got to have. I hope I said that right. Quinceanera, quince, I can't, I don't know how to say it. I'm going to get into what eventually happened to Ariel Castro, but I want to first discuss the girls. Michelle asks about her son. She wants to see little Joey. Remember, when she was taken, she was out looking for jobs so she could get her son back. 
Michelle is told that Joey is a teenager now and with a loving family. He's doing really well in school and he has a great life. Michelle decides that she doesn't want to mess that situation up. Let him stay where he is. She loves her son very much and she just felt that it was best for, for him. Michelle's family tried to come back into her life probably because she has money now and she basically told him to go F off. She's also upset because she was removed from the missing person database after just 15 months. She has even said that she's able to forgive Ariel Castro for everything he did to her, but she will never forgive her family for what they did to her. Amanda is raising little Jocelyn, who is a teenager now. I really got to give it to Amanda as a mother. She didn't want to have a baby. She was raped and got pregnant. The moment she was released, she could have said, I don't want this kid or anything to do with that man. Absolutely no judgment from me if she would have made that choice. But she kept being her mom. She knows Jocelyn is innocent in all of this. I did see recently that Amanda had shared a new photo of her and her daughter. They're at some kind of theme park, it looks like. She seems to be doing great and thriving. Amanda says that she's kind and caring and she loves animals. She's also doing well in school. Amanda has been a good influence on her. She doesn't take after Ariel for sure. One thing I found great was that Amanda was a big fan of the rapper Nelly. Remember when she disappeared in 2002, Nelly was at the top of the charts. So when she's free 10 years later, she wants to go see Nelly. He invited her on stage for one of his songs. He puts his arm around her and said her name to this huge crowd and everyone cheered and clapped for her. They all knew who she was. She then danced on the stage during one of the songs, and it was a great, well-deserved moment for her. Gina DeJesus founded the nonprofit organization Cleveland Family Center for Missing Children and Adults. Her office is actually right up the street from the house she was imprisoned all those years. She enjoys nature walks and birds and just being outside. Ariel had 937 counts of kidnapping, rape, and aggravated murder. The murder charge stemmed from when he assaulted Michelle and made her lose the baby. On August 1, 2013, he was sentenced to life plus 1,000 years in prison without the possibility of parole. Michelle Knight was the only one to speak at his hearing. She told him, I've got my life back. I spent 11 years in hell. Now your hell is just beginning. I listened to her give her statement to the courts and it was extremely moving and emotional. On September 3rd, 2013, this is one month after Ariel's prison sentence began. Okay, he's been in jail for one month. He was found dead in his prison cell. His death was ruled a suicide by hanging. He will never get to face the consequences for his actions. I'd like to think he was judged after he passed. He imprisoned three young girls for 10 years, but he couldn't last 30 days in prison. He took the coward's way out. Ariel's house was blurred out on Google Maps just so people wouldn't have to see it. Finally, it ended up getting demolished. You guys can go online if you want and watch countless interviews with the girls. You can buy their books. I'm glad this story had a happy ending, unlike most of the ones I tell you guys. That's it for this week. Much love to Amanda, Michelle, Gina, and little Jocelyn. To the rest of you, take care and much love to you all.